Welcome to the weekly podcast of Upper Room Christian Fellowship in Lincoln, Nebraska. Thank you for listening. Concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David, according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. Through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom you also are called of Jesus Christ. To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, our desire this morning and throughout this study is that what transformed through these words to other people's hearts and minds, Lord, would transform our lives to be men and women that are godlike in Christ. That your fruit, that your spirit would work all these truths in our lives. That you may get all the glory, all the praise and the honor. And ours is the joy of the fellowship and relationship that we have in Christ. So Lord, we pray your blessing be upon this time. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Do you ever have a dream? No. No, we all have had a dream. Paul had a dream. He's going to switch out the battery. Do not pay attention to the person behind me. Are you dying? Paul had a dream. It's interesting. His dream was actually go to Rome. All roads lead to Rome was the saying, but Paul understood something too. All roads lead out of Rome. Now it's interesting, when Paul wrote this epistle, he was in Corinth. And Corinth was an interesting city in itself. But he was there on his last journey, his third journey, if you will, his missionary journey. And being there, he understood that Phoebe was going to Rome. Why she went there, nobody really knows. Maybe it was business. Maybe specifically for Paul. We don't know. But she was the one that carried this epistle to the people in Rome. Now remember something or understand something. The people in Rome was not a church collectively. It was a bunch of little small churches. And how did they get there? Because so we understand something. No apostle had been there. And we'll show that in a second. But still, the gospel was spreading there. 
Many take it to Acts chapter 2 when Pentecost happened. When it happened, there were people from Rome there. Jews. They went back to Rome and, and spread the truth, possibly. Or it could have just been during the three years of Paul's journeys and missionary trips that other people made their way to Rome. We're not sure. But the point is, there are people in Rome. And Paul, again, reading from this epistle in chapter 15, will say this. And so I made it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation. But as is written, to whom he was not announced, they shall see. And those who have not heard, they shall understand. For this reason I also have been much hindered from coming to you, but now no longer having a place in these parts, and having a great desire these many years to come to you. Whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you, for I hope to see you on my journey, and to be helped on my way there by you, if I first may enjoy your company for a while. Paul's desire was to go to Rome. And in it, if you will, he wrote this epistle to the people in Rome. Now, what should take our attention is the power of this message that he wrote to Rome. Many people call it the gospel of the epistles. This epistle changed lives. No, it transformed lives. It changed such a radical way that it made into, if you will, revivals. And just simply, Augustine was one of the first in his change in his life because of the Epistle Rome. But it wasn't just him, it was also Luther. In fact, as they say, we probably wouldn't be sitting here together as a congregant if it wasn't for Luther. Well, I believe God would still have his way. But it was because of this epistle, Luther understood that we're saved by grace, not by works. And through that, he wrote a commentary on Romans because it made such an impact on him. Years later, a man named John Wesley, who was very down in his faith, wondering if he really grasped what salvation was. See, he went to the Americas to convert the Indians, but what he found was that who would convert him? So he came back discouraged. Going to a meeting, somebody was reading from the commentary of Luther. And he too understood something. He understood that the righteousness was through grace. Sheer mercy of God justified us through faith. In fact, his explanation of the experience, he says, Therefore, I felt of myself to be reborn and to have gone enough open doors into paradise. Change. And what happened was the Methodist movement which actually was an awakening in America in the 1800s and England. Wesley. But it wasn't just Wesley. It was many men from out history. See, Rome is an epistle of transformation. Romans is an epistle of understanding. And if we dare to enter into this epistle with an open heart, but also a conviction and a commitment, We can expect to be changed. Changed. Why do I say that? 
Well, let's start. Let's start with Paul. That's the first word. Paul. But see, that's not his original name. It was Saul. It's Salas. It means desired. Saul. Desired. In fact, if you will, in Philippians, he says this about himself. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Circumcised the eighth day. That's the exact day to be circumcised. And many were not, but he was. Right on the eighth day, I was circumcised. Of the stock of Israel, I'm full bread. Not an ounce of Gentile in me. Tribe of Benjamin. Saul, first king. It's one of the elite tribes of Israel. A Hebrew of Hebrews. My parents taught me strictly the traditions and the language of the Hebrews. Concerning the law, a Pharisee. Strict holding to the law. A fundamentalist. A traditionalist. Concerning zeal. Persecuting the church. I was so on fire for God, I persecuted the sect that I called. Concerning the righteousness which is the law, blameless. On the outside, I kept the law. Anybody on the outside would look at me and say, Saul is a Hebrew of Hebrew. He is one that follows the Lord in the law. That's the way Saul felt about himself until he met really the church and persecuting it. Why? Because he now has a different name. It's Paul. It's Palas. Salas? Palas. Desired? Saul. Little. Paul. Now some say he took it because of a, it's the Greek orientation of it. Some say because of its stature. Because many say in tradition he was small. But I think it was more than that. I think that he understood something even deeper. In Acts 8, 13. Do I have confidence? That's interesting. Where did I lose that? Oh well, as you go on, you just keep going. So to the change, let's just go there. I didn't have that there. You know, I'm sorry, but it's bugging me. Acts 8.13. Why did I not have that? So let's read it. Then Simon himself also believed. That's not it. Boy, is there egg on my face? Let's keep going. But Saul, insignificant. Such a name. What happened? What made this change in him? What made him come from somebody that was in, that was desired to insignificant? Well, we find his story in Acts chapter 9. If you have your Bibles there with me, please turn to Acts chapter 9. And we'll see his conversion. Now, before this, understand that Saul in Acts 8, was consenting to Stephen's death at that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. 
And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. And as for Paul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. So in that, now Paul, verse 1, chapter 9, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished him, said, Lord, what would you have me do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. See, what was going on in Paul's life was all of a sudden totally reversed. Totally everything that he thought he needed, everything that he was, everything that he needed was revealed in the face of these Christians. Because, see, they didn't just have, if you will, a zeal, but seemingly they had a relationship. And he couldn't understand it. Why can we say that? Because he was kicking against the goads, Jesus said. Do you know what a goad is? Let's put it this way. Take a two by four and put several 16 penny nails in it. And then what you would do would you goad the animal to keep going so it would not slow down or go back. If it did, it got a goad. So what this is telling us is that Jesus was witnessing to him through these believers. And he was saying, Paul, where are you going? Actually, Saul, desired one. You want so much to have a relationship with me and you are going the wrong way. You're kicking against that which I'm pricking your heart with. Does that say something about us, about you, about me? We keep trying to fill our lives with things that just do not sustain, correct? We're all guilty of it at times, especially here in our culture. But God wants something so much more. And it's like I said, if we really adhere to what we're learning through this epistle, you'll change if you stop going backwards. With desire and make a commitment going forward. As for each of us, It's for us to understand. Paul will go on to say, But I say, did Israel not know? I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move you to anger by a foolish nation. What Moses was saying was basically the church. The church would make the Jews jealous. And Paul will further develop this as we go on. That they would see the relationship that we have with God through Christ and they would yearn for it. Now let's go on. Let's go back to Romans. Paul, a bondservant. Is that what yours says? Or just say servant? Bondservant is slave. 
Paul's writing to the church in Rome, the churches, and he's calling himself a slave. Now, why that's so significant is the fact that there's probably, they estimate, 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire at this time. Most of the people that he probably was writing to were slaves. But a bondservant is one who gives himself up to another's will. A bondservant is saying, you know what? I will be your slave for life. It's willingly. And that's what Paul is saying here. That I am a bondservant of Jesus Christ. I'm not kicking against the goads anymore. In fact, he would go on to say this. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. Yet I indeed also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish or dung, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is but from the law, but that which is through Jesus Christ, and faith in Him, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know Him, and the power of His resurrection, the fellowship of His suffering, being conformed to His death. See, Paul was transformed. Paul was changed. Is that what you yearn for? Change? Paul's going to spell it out here throughout this epistle. To be changed. To be a living sacrifice to God. To willingly desire to submit unto Him rather than ourselves. To say, I will do or go wherever you desire because you understand something. The love that Jesus Christ has for you. But let's go on. Paul, a bondservant or a slave of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle. Now, Paul was one of those guys that, you know, you think, an apostle? He wasn't one of the eleven, and then they voted in Matthias, so how does this work? Well, Again, to understand what it means to be apostle is you have to have this criteria. One, you have to see the resurrected Lord. Well, guess what? He just saw the resurrected Lord. And he'll have some more experiences with the Lord. The other thing that he must have is he must be called by the office of Christ. And again, in Acts, we just saw that Christ was calling him to the office. He was also must be given power of miracles. And if we read through Acts, we would see that Paul had miracles. And the fourth really is separated for the gospel of God, knowing the word of God, which Paul again expounds and shows. So Paul, bondservant of Jesus Christ, or if you will, Saul, but no, 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 I'm Paul now. I'm a bondservant of Jesus Christ. I found it all in him. I am called to be an apostle or one that's sent out, separated and sent out, if you will, separated to the gospel of God, the good news. Good news. What is the good news? Well, let's cheat. Let's go down to verse 17. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as written, the just shall live by faith. It's not my works, Paul's saying. It's not all the stuff I did as a Pharisee. It's not the stuff of learning of Hebrew of Hebrews. It's not being the elite tribe. It's not being a full-bred Jew. No, it's all faith in Jesus Christ, the sacrificial lamb. that's changed everything. That's the good news. And he gets to go out. We get to go out and share this good news. 
Verse 2, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, if we went to the road in Emmaus, we would see again, after the resurrection, two of his disciples were leaving Jerusalem. And Jesus comes sneaking up on them and walking by them and starts talking to them. They don't know who he is. But in the end, they're saying, hey, haven't you heard the news? And Jesus being coy, saying, what news? Well, the news of the one that we thought was the Messiah, or at least the prophet of God. And he died, and now there's some women and others that are saying that he rose again from the dead. Jesus starts opening up the word. He says, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them all the scriptures concerning himself. Now, as they came to pass, they sat at a table with him. He took the bread and he blessed and he broke it and he gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they knew that he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road? And while he opened the scriptures to us. See, there's a word that Paul's going to use for this. It, what it is, is the Old Testament. There are so many things that were hidden in the Old Testament. Or totally looked over because we didn't fully understand it, the Jew would say. But see, Jesus Christ came to fulfill the law. Jesus Christ came to fulfill prophecy. So Paul's going to use a word 20, at least 20 times in this, in his epistles, I should say, twice in this epistle. It's the word mystery. And see, the word mystery is not who done it. Who did it? Who done it? No, it's, it's a mystery is what was hidden in the Old Testament is now revealed new. Mystery. Now, in knowing that, there's Several times, again, like I said, he's going to use that word, mystery. Here's a few of them. In this epistle, he's going to say, Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel, the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began. In Ephesians, he's going to say this, How that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read it, You may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Christ. In Colossians 2, 7, he says, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages of our glory. See, and the the thing is, is that's the, the wonder and the beauty of Paul. I mean, you can see that this intellect mind that understood the Old Testament But when he came to Christ, all of a sudden, all those Old Testament words came alive. That he saw Christ. And he was blown away. And you could see this in his epistles, that they explode, and that's what happens in Romans. I see him now, boom! That's why he's known as the theologian of the apostles. Because of his knowledge of the Old Testament, now it just, his mind, his creative mind just explodes. And even to this day, he's considered one of the, one of the geniuses of the world that's ever existed. And really, if you will, 
It was just him taking the time to understand the Old Testament, coming to faith in Christ, and letting Jesus explode the Word in his heart. That it burn. Does the Word burn in our hearts? Do we come with a desire to learn and to grow and to be the men of God and the women of God He's called us to be? Let's go on. Concerning His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, verse 3, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God with power according to spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. See, He was flesh. Jesus was born into this world. But you see that word declared? It's a really cool word. See, it means to mark out the boundaries or limits. In Greek, it's horizo. It's where we get the word horizon. See, he was born of the seed of David. He was declared to be the Son of God. Picture horizon. Now, I used to love, and I know some of you are from the West Coast, I used to love to go to the beach, especially when the sun was setting. And where you could see the separation from sea and sky. But the interesting thing is when the sun would come down to set, it would kiss the water and the water would just explode with with sunlight. But see, if you will, it's this is the picture that Paul's giving us. It's earth and sky that the Son of God came to the earth, but He is separated because He is God. He came in the flesh, but He's God. I see you missed that, didn't you? Because see, a lot of times read the Word and it just doesn't seem to pop. But Paul's trying to get us to pop and say, this God you worship is more extraordinary. That as the sky is separated from the earth, they touch with the sun hitting it. Now there's life. Life in you. Life in me. Life. Where everything seems so dead. Even when we see creation, we may rejoice, but we still we miss it because we miss the understanding that He who created everything has now come to the earth and touched it and kissed it. Because of that, there's now life. Dare we go on? In fact, again describing this, Paul in 1 Timothy says this, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed in the world, received up in glory. And see, the sun touched the earth. But then the the apostles saw the sun go back into the heavens. What a mystery. What a wonder. What a power. How cool can you get? Look at verse 5 because it only gets cooler. Through Him, through Christ, 
we receive grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among the nations, for his name. Now that word grace he's going to use 25 times in this epistle. In fact, if you will, later on he says this, being justified freely by his grace, the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Notice too, again, he uses the word apostleship. This is my calling. I am being sent out. I received the grace and he sent me out for obedience to the faith. What's his obedience to the faith? Well, again, let's look at 1 Corinthians 4.1. He says, let a man so consider us servants. I'm a bondservant of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God to unveil them to you, if you will. In fact, that's what he says when he's on trial. He says, to you it has been given, excuse me, for I have come to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. See, my mission is, is my calling is, is go tell people something. That the earth and the sky, God and creation have touched. And God's desire is for your eyes to be open so you would see these things. That you would get excited about them. Not just on Sunday morning, but every day you wake up, you have been touched by the sun. Kissed. You. For your eyes to be open every time you sit down to read, there is a possibility that you must read it with that God is going to open your eyes and explode a truth just for you. Just for you. Now listen. Verse 6. It gets better. Among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. That word called means to invite. That word, root word of call, it means to call you by your name. You were called by your name. He knows. Your name knows us. Jesus called you by name to obtain eternal salvation. But that's not all. See, Jesus goes on to say this, To you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. Paul in Colossians chapter 2 says this, For I want you to know a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea, and as for many that have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love and attaining to all the riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God 
both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Everything that you need to know in this life, He wants to explain and expound to you. And if you will, maybe you won't understand it in your mind, but when you see His face, it's alright. He's got this. It doesn't matter your intellectual capabilities, capacities, somehow smart you are. It doesn't even matter if you can read. Do you know that? I just heard about a man that was able to memorize the whole Bible in his native tongue, and at this moment it's escaping me. The whole Bible in his native tongue. And if that's not extraordinary, he also was able to memorize the scriptures in the English language. And then there was a blind black man here down in the south who was illiterate. And he did the same thing. Alive. And see, as long as we read it sleepily, as we come in here sleepily, as we consider to li- continue to live sleepily, then we're never going to really understand the wonder and the power and the mystery that's been given to you and to me to understand. Because for some reason we become so earthbound. <laughs> but my hope is for all of us going through this epistle that each one of us become heavenbound. You were called, invited by name, by Him. But look at verse 7. It gets better. To all who are in Rome, to all who are in the upper room, beloved of God. That word, root word is agape. You know that word. It means esteemed, dear. It means favorite. It means worthy of love. Not because we say so but the one who is loving says so. Beloved of God, called, uh, divinely selected and appointed, if you will. Those two words, to be, they're in italics in my Bible. I'm sure they are with yours too, because they just put that there to make it a little clearer. But this case, it's, it makes it a little more foggy. So let's read it as it's intended. To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called saints. Called saints. Divinely appointed saints. Holy, separated to God. You and I are holy. See, Paul will go on in Colossians and say it this way. The mystery, is <laughs> a mystery again, which has been hidden from ages, from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. That's you. That's me. 
To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. Which is Christ in you. The hope of glory. Isn't that cool? Isn't that wonderful? You're a saint. You are holy and separated unto God. Regardless of how you feel about yourself. God sees you as holy. In Christ Jesus and His righteousness. Grace to you and peace from God. Salutations in Greek and Hebrew. That's what it is. See, when they, when a Greek would pass a Greek and say hello, we say, howdy, hello, hi, how you doing? What's going on? They would say, grace, grace, grace. Hebrew, though, they didn't do that. They said, shalom, peace. Greek? Salutation, grace. Hebrew, salutation, shalom. For us, though, it means so much more. See, the word grace, especially, I will expound on it like through Strong's. That which affords joy is grace. Pleasure, delight, sweetness, charm. Loveliness, goodwill, loving kindness, favor. Of the merciful kindness by which God, exerting his holy influence upon souls, turned them to Christ, keeps them strengthened, increases them in Christian faith, knowledge, affection, and kindles them to the exercise of the Christian virtues. Meaning this, it's all God. It's all God. Us, the just, shall live by faith. It's to trust Him. He's doing this work. He's going to make it happen. Do we trust Him? The word peace would mean the way that leads to peace. In this case, salvation. The tranquil state of soul assured of salvation through Christ and so fearing nothing from God and content with its earthly lot for whatever sort it is. Because you have peace with God. He's called you beloved. He's called you holy. He's called you a gift receiver. And he's called you into his home and says, peace. Peace. What does that mean then? We put it all together. Well, Paul would sum it up this way in 2 Corinthians. Therefore, if anyone be in Christ, he is a new creation. 
old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. See, it doesn't matter how you were feeling this morning. It doesn't matter how sinful you felt this morning. How much of you felt like it's a failure. See, what God does is says every day is a new day. Every day the sun will kiss the earth. Every day. Every day is a new day for you to learn these truths, to walk in these truths, to live in these truths. Leave yourself behind because I'm doing a new thing. Do you trust me, my beloved? Do you trust me that I am the gift giver? Not the gifts that you're seeking in this world, but the gifts that you really do desire in your heart. Or are you going to continue to kick against the goats? Are you going to continue to kick against what I want to do in your life because of your feelings, of your hurt, of your pain, of your suffering, instead of looking at me and say, let's go. I'm doing a new thing. So many of us let the past hold us down. So many of us kick against the goats. I'm not saying, and you know if you've been here long enough, that I'm saying that God does not use the past. He does. But let Him use it. I have found in my life that I don't need to keep going back there because when He wants me back there, He'll bring me back there. But then only to heal help me to go on forward. Because it's always, let's go. No more torment because He's given me peace. No more struggle, if you will, if I would just go forward. And see, really, if you will, that's what Romans is going to do. Romans, again, is going to encourage us to say, you're dead, you're alive, Live, knowing nothing can separate you from His love. Nothing. That when you walk in His Spirit, in life, as you know it, ceases. And the new life, that is the true reality, begins. Earth and sky. You are a new creation. And just like Saul, God wants us to know something. He's given us a new name. In Revelation chapter 2, it says this. He, the Lord speaking, who has ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. And I will give him a white stone. And on the stone, a new name written, which no one knows except he who receives it. What's your name in heaven? I don't know. But you have a guarantee of something. You will be brand new. Through Romans, 
we're going to take that journey together and realize what it means to be brand new. I'm sorry it was an introduction. It's long, and I'll finish it with this. So many stories I could give, but the only one that really popped in my head was an ex-hippie. And see, this hippie was so burned out on drugs, he believed half his face was shot off. So he thought himself as being ugly, and he really was a decent-looking guy, except for him kind of being dirty and smelly. But see, he, he heard about this place, and he, this church, and he started going to this church, and the people around him just loved on him. And everybody that met him thought, well, his brain's fried. He did too many drugs. There's no way that this guy would just love him as he is. But see, as he was around them, as he heard the word of God, a change began to happen. And that change became a transformation. And such a big transformation that the man has been in the ministry for the last... 50 years. And God used them powerfully. Just because the life was transformed. That he sat in the service to grow, to learn, that he knew something, that there's nowhere else to go. God changed. That's my prayer for each of us. God changes our mind and our thoughts. No more with a face blown off. No more dead in the past. But now life is new. Let's pray. Father, just thank you for this morning. And I know it was a lot to take in. But my prayer really truly is that each of us grasp the truth of the mysteries that have been given to us to understand. The power that you have given us to walk and apply these things in our lives. The word that is alive powerful and wonderful and living because it's your word. You stand behind it and it's our desire this morning Lord to go on with you. That we too would not only be your saints, but ones that would be called out to share this wonderful good news that Jesus Christ is alive. And that he's alive in each of us. So Lord, we pray as we go through this, help us to be committed. Help us to be consistent. Help us to come expecting. And help us throughout the week be discovering. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, who's given it to us all. Amen.